When a reporter for an ABC News affiliate tried to give an inclement weather report, he was confused by the initial response. After finding out what happened, he couldn't help but laugh. Uh, Justin Hinton of WLOS 13 News was giving an update on hazardous road conditions brought on by snow and ice. But Hinton had accidentally activated the auto filter option on his Facebook Live broadcast. And so instead of seeing his professional demeanor, viewers were treated to Hinton's face with a variety of virtual masks. As a space fighter pilot, a wizard with a long bushy beard, sporting cartoonish googly eyes, a purple mustache, and plenty of other oddball looks. Hinton later explained, the photographer I was working with said something about the screen having weird faces. He didn't elaborate, so I figured it would go away. Needless to say, it did go away. Hinton did his best to take it all in stride. He said, my bosses, coworkers, friends, and, and many more called in text and saying how funny it was. So here you go. If you can't laugh at yourself, what's the point of laughter? I hope you enjoyed the snow day, and remember to smile and laugh. Faithfulness means paying attention to the details. One simple oversight can be costly. Now, a news reporter selecting an online filter option is harmless. He and everybody else was able to, to laugh it off and look back on it as nothing more than a humorous mistake. But what happens when the stakes are higher? What happens when you don't pay attention to your marriage? What happens when you don't pay attention to the words that you say? The consequences can be a lot more devastating. We're often told, don't sweat the small stuff. But I heard Bob Russell say one time, sweat the small stuff. Because if you don't sweat the small stuff, it turns into big stuff. And I think there's some wisdom there. Faithfulness means being committed in the small and big details every single day. Jesus talks about the importance of faithfulness in all things in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37. We're in the section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus shares the six antitheses, where he says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Last week, we looked at the first one. It has been said, do not murder, but I tell you that anybody who is angry has committed murder. Today, we're going to look at three more antitheses, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 27, and would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. 
either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, I've noticed that there is a tendency among Christians to get tunnel vision when reading Scripture. And so what happens is we read a single verse of Scripture and we'll form entire doctrines based on one verse or entire opinions based on one verse instead of seeing how that verse is situated within its surrounding context or how that verse fits into what the author is saying in that chapter or in that book, or even how that verse fits in with the greater story that the entire Scripture is telling. I've also noticed that we have a tendency to look for exceptions in Scripture. We all want to be the exception to the rule. And what happens is when we constantly look for the exception, we miss out on the main point. We miss out on the overall principle. And that's really what Jesus is highlighting in these verses. Jesus shows us how the people in his day were so fixated on the letter of the law that they missed the heart of the law. And in these verses, Jesus emphasizes that faithfulness lies at the center of everything. Faithfulness is the foundation for following God's will. Faithfulness is the foundation for following God's will. And so as we look at these verses today, I want you to keep that in mind. If you leave here today and you're going, well, what about this? Or is it okay if I do this? Or what happens in this situation? If you do that, you're missing the point. It's not that those questions are unimportant. It's not that those questions don't have legitimate answers. It's that they need not overshadow the main point of faithfulness in all things. Jesus, first of all, in verse 27, he says we must, be, we must have faithful desires. Faithful desires. Now, the seventh commandment in Exodus 20, 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. And, and this was known, this was accepted, this was followed. The problem was is that people in Jesus' day, they limited adultery to the physical act only. And so Jesus, he gets to the heart of the matter, and he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying it's not enough to simply maintain physical purity. You must guard against engaging mentally in an act of unfaithfulness. Purity in marriage means being exclusively devoted to one another in every aspect of your life. Looking lustfully at another woman, it breaks the bond of oneness that a man has with his wife. You see, this is important because the marriage relationship between a husband and wife, it reflects the relationship between God and His people. And so to commit adultery is a serious sin because it it severs that relationship. I also want to highlight here that Jesus is putting the responsibility on the person who is doing the lusting. For exa- in this example, it is a man lusting after a woman, although the, the two could be switched. And there's a harmful movement that 
that, that has taken place, in, and oftentimes it's fundamentalist circles, where women are shamed, and, and women are told that they are responsible to keep men from lusting. And, and that's not what Jesus is saying here. And, and, and women, if you have ever been, been, been shamed, if you've ever been told that it's your responsibility to keep a, a man from lusting, I'm sorry. But that, that is not what Jesus is saying. We also need to know Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to notice beauty. Jesus is not saying that attraction is wrong. He is saying that looking lustfully at a woman is sin. So we have to understand, what does it mean when he says to lust? In Jesus' day, the the popular uh, scripture that people would read from was the Septuagint. It was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in the Septuagint, the word used for covet in the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, it's the same word that Jesus uses here for lust. And that helps us understand that to lust means to desire something that doesn't belong to you. To to lust means to have a desire that consumes you, that that you fixate on, that that you don't look away from, that, that you don't stop thinking about. And so what's the remedy? Jesus says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, some, like the church father Origen, he took this command literally. He castrated himself to keep him from lusting. The only problem was is that he still lusted. Because lust is more than physical. It's emotional. It's mental. Jesus is using hyperbole here. It's an exaggerated overstatement to emphasize the seriousness of sin. What's the point? Cut sin out of your life or sin will cut down your life. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this in Colossians 3, verse 5, when he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So why does this matter? Jesus teaches that sin leads to hell. And that is the ultimate reason why sin must be taken seriously. You don't treat sin, you don't pamper sin, you don't flirt with sin, you don't manage sin, you repent of sin. You kill sin. I want you to picture like a medieval castle. And you know most castles were these fortresses, right? But around castles were a moat, a body of water that would, that would serve as, as a barrier from attacking invaders. And I want us to think about, as a moat would guard a castle, how can you and I guard our hearts? Or consider the lengths that the government goes to to protect the president. Uh, the, The presidential limo is called the beast. It's 18 feet long, and while it may not seem special, It is designed to withstand any attack imaginable. To begin with, it weighs between 8 and 10 tons. 
The body is made of eight-inch thick armor plating to protect from potential bomb blast. The five-inch thick windows can stop 44 magnum bullets. The interior can be sealed off in the event of a chemical attack, and the car is equipped with tear gas grenades. The beast is loaded also with a handful of James Bond-like gadgets, including smoke screens and door handles that are rigged to send 120-volt electric shocks to ward off attackers. It can also reportedly lay down an oil slick to send enemy vehicles spinning out of control. Pump-action shotguns, rocket-powered grenades, and night vision equipment are all said to be on board. The tires are coated in Kevlar and can travel for hundreds of miles even if flat. The beast also carries a supply of blood matching the president's blood type in case of an emergency. It also travels with its own oxygen supply, which can be piped into the sealed cabin in the event of an attack. It's remarkable. In the same way that the beast is designed to defend virtually any possible attack against the president, you and I need to make sure that we have the right defense to protect us from sin. We need to be prepared. We need to guard against sin in our life. And so I want to ask you, what do you need to give up in order to keep you from sin? What guardrails or what fences do you need to set up to counter the attack or to keep you from crashing? Let me share with you a few ways that we can defend ourselves against sin. First, identify your vulnerabilities. Where are you most vulnerable to sin? When are you most susceptible to make poor decisions? In addiction recovery, they use an acrostic called HALT. And when you are hungry, when when you are angry, when you are lonely, when you are tired, these are when we tend to make poor decisions. When are you most susceptible to sin? You have to identify your vulnerabilities and then set up guardrails. Just as guardrails are designed to keep a car from, from driving off the edge, We can set up guardrails that will keep us from sin. So that means for for some of you, you need to restrict the type of content that you watch on shows and movies. For some of you, you need to make sure that that your spouse has complete unfiltered access to your whereabouts at all times. And an app like Life360 is great to, to have vulnerability and transparency in where you're at. For some of you where your phone or your computer or your tablet uh, can, can lead to temptation, there are some apps that you just need to delete. Some of you need to have some accountability software set up on your devices that monitors your websites, and any questionable activity will be sent to an accountability partner. Set up the guardrails that you need in your life that are going to protect you from sin. And then beyond that, pursue accountability. Find a godly person that you can be gut-level honest with. Somebody that asks, when when they ask, how are you doing, they're not going to accept okay as an answer. Find that person in your life. And then fourth, develop healthy relationships with your spiritual family. I think this is so important, but it's often overlooked. 
One of the byproducts of living in this digital age is we have less personal contacts with humans and less real, authentic relationships. And as we look back on that season of COVID, it only accelerated this disconnect. And as a result, there are many people who don't understand love. All they understand is lust. They see people as objects to control instead of people to love. And when we truly begin to appreciate our brothers and sisters in Christ as members of our spiritual family, we're less likely to dehumanize them as temptations, whether temptations to be avoided or temptations to be indulged. When we live in a safe church family where we can give and receive genuine Christian love within the appropriate boundaries, dealing with people as human beings rather than objects of our passion we have found an important defense against lust. The key here is developing healthy relationships. For example, when we teach young men that, that, that all women are just Jezebels that are going to seduce them, we're making it impossible for them to develop real, authentic relationships. We're teaching them to, to fear women, to see them as objects rather than sisters in Christ. Listen, boundaries are good, when they seek to promote healthy relationships, not harmful and distorted images. So, guardrails, setting them up, this isn't, this isn't prudish. If you truly want to follow God's will for your life, for your relationships, and for your marriage, faithfulness is the foundation. Do whatever it takes to pursue purity. Second, Jesus says we must have faithful marriages. In the first century world, much like our own, divorce and remarriage was widely accepted and practiced. A certificate of divorce in the ancient world gave a woman the right to remarry. So Jesus says, beginning in verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. By Jesus' time, the sacredness of marriage was being lost among those debating and interpreting the Mosaic law regarding divorce. And so what's Jesus do? He goes right to the heart of the matter, and he reveals the law's true meaning and God's original intention for marriage. God's design for marriage is one man and one woman for life. Divorce is never God's design. It's always an exception. We need to make sure we understand what Jesus is saying here and what Jesus is not saying. What Jesus is saying is that the common cultural concept of easy divorce is not God's design. We also need to see that Jesus here is placing the primary blame on the husband who has wrongly divorced his wife. We read in verse 32 that she is the victim of adultery. Now, what's Jesus not saying? Jesus does not require divorce for sexual unfaithfulness. He allows it. Reconciliation and forgiveness is always the goal. And, and at times, that, that becomes impossible. But it's the goal. Jesus also, he does not say that illegitimate divorce and remarriage are unforgivable sins. While there are always consequences for going against Jesus' intentions for our lives, 
We have to be careful not to create oppressive burdens that cancel out God's grace and restoration. The exceptions Jesus allowed for divorce were designed to protect women. Jesus is defending rather than oppressing those who've been divorced against their will. I was reading about how Jack White, who's the front man for the band The White Stripes, uh, he and his wife, Karen Elson, when they announced their divorce, they did something pretty unconventional. They threw a party to celebrate the end of their six-year marriage. Here's what their divorce statement read. In honor of that time shared, we are throwing a divorce party to reaffirm our friendship and celebrate the past and future. The bash will include dancing, photos, memories, and alcoholic drinks. The statement went on to say, we feel so fortunate for the time we have shared and the time we will continue to spend both separately and together watching our children grow. Scripture clearly states that God allows exceptions for divorce to protect women and men who have been sinned against when that oneness bond has been broken by unfaithfulness. But listen, this is not God's design, and it is surely not something to be celebrated. God says in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce. And if God hates divorce, then, then why would we celebrate it? If God hates it, why would we throw a party? It should grieve us. So what do we do? First, if you're married, Keep your commitment. Remember your marriage vows. Marriage is full of ups and downs. Hang in there. Work at your marriage. But it's more than simply keeping your commitment. It goes beyond that to you must love and serve your spouse. Don't be like the Pharisees and the scribes. Look beyond the letter of the law to the heart of the law. For example, a man may never divorce his wife, yet he also fails to show her love. A woman may avoid having affairs, yet she despises her husband. These two are acts of unfaithfulness. God's design for marriage is a covenant relationship of mutual love, service, sacrifice, and respect. And third, honor marriage as sacred. Whether you're single whether you're divorced, whether you're married. Understand that marriage pictures a deeper reality of Christ's relationship with the church. It is not a man-made, flippant institution. It is a holy covenant. You can honor marriage by supporting marriages. You can honor marriage by being faithful to marriage. And then beginning in verse 33, Jesus turns his attention saying that we must have faithful words. We must be faithful in what we say. So when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not break your oath, he's not referring to one particular passage. He's alluding to several Old Testament passages about making oaths. Exodus 20, verse 7, Leviticus 19, verse 12, Numbers 20, verse 2, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 24. All of these oaths were designed to encourage truthfulness. But in the Jewish code of law called the Mishnah, there were all kinds of details about oaths that ultimately enabled people to justify lying. So if someone wanted to make an oath, 
that they were 100% committed to keeping, they would say something like, well, I swear by heaven, or I swear by Jerusalem. Only oaths that invoked the name of God were binding. Today, it'd be like saying, well, I, I had my fingers crossed, so it didn't count. And again, what does Jesus do? He cuts to the heart of this. The point of the law is not to find loopholes that enable you to get out of a commitment. The law is about living faithfully. Followers of Jesus should be people of integrity and honesty and character so that whatever they say is absolutely believable and trustworthy. So Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Today, we live in a world full of long, wordy contracts, fine print. Every last clause is detailed. And the reason it seems like every interaction we have is littered with, with legal jargon and red tape is because honesty doesn't matter. We, we have generations of people who are scarred and, and jaded because they've been lied to by politicians, by government, by the media. I mean, how messed up is it that we live in a world where we have to fact-check the fact-checkers? Misinformation is everywhere, and it comes from both sides. And yet Christ calls us to be different. Be true to your word. Be honest. When you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. And here's why this matters. When we live with uncompromised integrity, our words carry weight and meaning. Our honesty and our reliability becomes evident in every area of our lives, whether in our interactions with our family, our friends, our coworkers, or even strangers. And we become people that others can trust and rely on. See, when you're true to your word, when someone has a question about life, or someone has a question about God, or, or about purpose, or about a tough decision they have to make, you're going to be the person that they come to because they know that you're reliable and they know that you're trustworthy. Your integrity becomes one of the greatest tools in your Christian witness. As we wrap up today, I want to take you to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The whole point of the law isn't to create loopholes so that you can stick your chest out and boast that you keep the letter of the law. Jesus reveals its true meaning. The heart of the law points directly at the human heart. And Jesus shows that if you don't break the letter of the law, but you want to in your heart, you're guilty. So I ask, are you faithful? Do you pursue purity? Do you keep your marriage commitment? Are you true to your word? 
2 Timothy 1, verse 13, it says, if we are faithful, if we are unfaithful, He remains faithful. And so if you're here today and you struggle to remain faithful, you, you've been unfaithful to a friend, you've been unfaithful to a spouse, you've been unfaithful to yourself, maybe you've been unfaithful to God, I'm telling you the answer is not to beat yourself up. The answer is not just to, to white-knuckle it and try to fix things on your own and clean up your life, whatever that means. What you need is a change of heart. Because band-aids and ointments and lotions cannot fix a sick heart. You need Jesus. He remains faithful. And He will give you a new heart so that you can live faithfully. Because Jesus was completely pure. 1 Peter 1.19 says that Jesus was a lamb without blemish or defect. Completely pure. Jesus was completely committed. In Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. And Jesus was completely truthful and completely honest. In John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isaiah 53 says that in him was found no deceit. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the one who purifies. We don't purify ourselves. He cleanses us from the inside out so that we can live faithful lives. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that, that you reveal the heart of the matter. God, you, you strip away everything on the, on, on the outside and you get us to look right on the inside. And God, my, my prayer today is that we would not leave this place with, with sick hearts, but with hearts that are healthy because we have hearts that have been given us by you. You have given us your spirit to enable us to live faithful lives. And God, when we fail, we know that your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness abounds. God, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us for, for trying to, to do this on our own. Forgive us for, for having to think we have to look good on the outside. God, I pray that, that we would be people who are characterized above all by faithfulness. We realize you have redeemed us, you have called us. So we're faithful in our marriages. God, I lift up marriages today. We're faithful in our purity. God, I, I pray that we would set up the right guardrails in our lives. And God, I pray that we'd be faithful with our words, that when we say yes, we mean it. When we say no, we mean it. And this all comes from your spirit enabling us to live faithful lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.